Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, engaging in unscripted conversations with your hosts, Ben and Spencer. Whether you're tuning in from your car, your office, your home, or anywhere in between, we are so happy to have you join us today. Our mission is simple, to explore the Bible through a powerful lens of love. Together, we'll uncover fresh insights and gain deeper understandings of how we can love God and love the people in our everyday lives. So buckle up and join us on this spiritual journey as we discover timeless wisdom that is just as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast. If you are on YouTube, you might be seeing us right now. And if you're not on YouTube, you can go to YouTube and you can see us. And apologies. But do they really want to see us? That's the question. That is a very good question. Very so good this question. is something we had a couple of people talking about and we we're like, hey, we'll try it. And if you really enjoy listening to the podcast, it's still going to be available uh, in audio form. But on YouTube, we're just going to put up a video form. We'll see how that works. If you tune in and you're going to be like, I know when Ben recorded this because if he's wearing a button-up shirt, it was probably during the work week. Uh-huh. And if I'm wearing a hat and a sweatshirt, it was probably during the weekend. I just look like this all the time. That should be a lot of fun. All right. So we are continuing on in the book of Numbers. Yes, we are. And uh, actually, before we get to that, we had a couple of people send me an email or just commented to me, and I need to clean up a couple of mistakes. Yes, you do. Yes, a couple of mistakes. So- Turns out that if you eat pig, you don't get botulism. You get trigonosis. Yes. Yeah. So that is a, I, I warned everybody, I'm not a doctor. Which, so. he sh- we, we're in Alaska. He should know this because it's the same if you eat bear. You get trigonosis. Yes, because I eat a lot of bear. <laughs> I, he, just bear with me. That's a terrible <laughs> pun. I should know those things, but I don't. Yeah. Also, can we just be honest? Botulism is a way funner word to say than trigonosis. It is. Yeah, it's, it's a way more fun word. It is. The other thing we were talking about is at the end of chapter 11, so this is the last episode we recorded uh, with Pastor Nick, there's this interesting thing where God gets ticked off with them and he comes after them because something to do with the meat. It says, while the meat is still in their mouth, he he brought up plague, right? Yeah. And the question, we didn't address it. We moved past it because it wasn't part of our conversation at that point. It's actually really interesting that this whole story with the quail and the manna and like this whole like 72 and like all these things are mirrored back earlier in the book of Exodus. Yeah. We saw that God provides the meat for them to eat, and it's more meat than they can handle. But in this narrative, Moses has been like, okay, God, but can you handle it? There's 600,000 people. Can you really get us enough meat for everybody? Of course, that's a bad question for God, because of course he can. He literally parts the sea so you can walk through on dry land, but apparently meat's too hard to handle. (laughs) Literally took out the most powerful nation in the world to free you. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting because if you actually look and like, why is God ticked off at the end of this? Because they're actually eating meat. It actually says in verse 32, no one gathered less than 10 omers. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because each day they're actually supposed to only gather one omer for bread. Yeah. But nobody gathered less than 10. Mm-hmm. And then it also says that they spread the quail over the entire camp. So it's like right in God's face. It's a story of mistrust once again. Okay, the meat's out here, but is God going to be able to sustain the meat? Yeah. Which, I mean, I think is actually very familiar in the church is where, okay, we have the blessing of God, but will the blessing of God last? But that's a very common concern for people because they don't know how to live in the blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They don't know how to walk where there's always enough. Yeah. But maybe not in abundance, but always enough. Yeah. 
And I think maybe the tendency, especially as American Christians, is that we want to gather more than enough and rely on our resources rather than on what God provides. Yeah, absolutely. So the people, even though there's an, there's additional leadership at this point, they're still stuck with this distrust, grumbling state. They don't trust God in the desert, despite what he's done for them. And they actually named the place Kibroth Hatava. That just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Which actually means graves of lust. Not a great name for a place, right? <laughs> so that actually brings us to the story that we're actually going to be coming into today. So remember, last time we just talked about there's 72 elders, 70 or 72, depending on how you read that, that God takes the spirit off of Moses and now he puts it on the 72. Mm -hmm. So God has taken the spirit off of Moses and he's placed it on the other 72. They've prophesied, but they don't continue to prophesy. And Moses makes that statement, which we talked about a lot. It would be great if everybody had the spirit like I have it, right? Which is just really demonstrating the heart of Moses. Now, Mm -hmm. immediately after 72 elders now being imbued with authority, Uh chapter 12 opens with this. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Okay, let's just take a step back. Have you ever been in a church where people are unhappy with the leadership or they're unhappy with their position or they're unhappy with a leader? And so rather than actually coming out and talking about the leader, they like pick on something innocuous. I can't relate to that at all. I'm sure you can't, right? It's just, it's, you're talking about, oh, he has a Cushite wife. Yeah. I, I think you actually have told me that story about you and your dad, or uh, your dad's story about the car that he owned. Oh, yeah. He was praying for a car, and he was gifted, like, a basically brand new car. It was, like, a year or two old, very low mileage. And then he's had people being like, you're in ministry. Why do you own such a nice car? Not understanding the context of it at all, that he was praying for a new car because he needed a different car. And he was gifted the exact thing. The Lord provided the exact thing he needed. Which it's always good to pause here and say, it's okay for ministers to have nice cars. Uh-huh. And in fact, it's okay for people to have money. It's not okay for their money to run them. Yes. Yeah. And, and I've just been chuckling at this whole thing because it's, hey, let's pick on Moses's wife. Yeah. Like I. That's because they've picked on Moses before yeah. and it didn't end well for them. Yeah. Yeah. But, they're, like, they're like, okay, well, picking on Moses isn't going to work. So let's pick on his wife. Let's try to spread some rumors. Let's try to do something that's not helpful here. The relatability to the church nowadays is crazy on that because we, I know a lot of people where they just want to find what is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so if something's going really well, then they start complaining about, oh, these walls in this building aren't painted the exact color I want. Mm -hmm. It's actually a sign that you're probably doing a lot of things really well if that's the only complaints they have. Yeah. If you're in leadership, if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, the complaints are very minimal or minor or not a big deal or like things that really shouldn't matter, you're probably doing things pretty well. Not to mention it starts to really reveal like people's real heart issues. Yes. If you're being real petty about like wall colors, Mm -hmm. that says a lot more about you than it does about the color that you're making the church. Oh, this was years and years ago. But I was was at a church just visiting and a lady like pulled the pastoral team aside after church. And I was like, okay, she probably has something very big that she wants to bring up. And she went on this whole rant about how they have placed the coffee service in the church in the wrong location, and that just disrupts the whole flow of everything that's going on Sunday morning. It's terrible. Sacrilegious to the kingdom of God. Which I, two things. Like either one, this church is actually doing things really well to where that's the biggest complaint. Or two, 
they have some people in their church that have some issues like that of just finding what is wrong and trying to exploit that. Yeah, it's interesting coming back to a conversation we had a couple of weeks ago is it's way more conducive to the kingdom of God to be the kind of person who looks to see what's right in somebody's life. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about how when you know somebody long enough, they're going to say something that is borderline heretical. Mm-hmm. And so instead of jumping on everything that they might say incorrectly, we're trying to find the good in them and build that up. Yeah. If you've been blessed with the opportunity to preach and teach, you're going to preach heresy at some point. Yeah. Not intentionally, but you're going to do it. Yeah. And trust me, having spoken from the pulpit, you will say something mm-hmm. silly and definitely not what you meant. In fact, there is a uh, great clip that I pulled from last week's sermon of our pastor, and I'll tell you about it later because it's not necessarily appropriate to throw out here. And uh, it's going to disappear before you get to the podcast uh, version of our church. Yeah. But it's it was pretty great. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So maybe Miriam and, and Aaron are feeling intimidated. Maybe they're feeling left out. But uh, I do think it's interesting that to know that in the text here, what happens up happening in Numbers, by the way, we stopped, didn't say this. This is Numbers 12 through 18. Mm-hmm. Get your Bible out, read it. We're going to assume that you've been through this so that you kind of understand where we're going with this. Yeah. I think it's interesting here that Moses doesn't actually deal with the complaint. Mm-hmm. God deals with it directly. Yeah. They grumble about Moses, but God actually answers on behalf of Moses. And I want to point this out because later in a story, probably coming up next week, Moses answers on behalf of God, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And it gets him into trouble. And one thing to note too, on this little part right here, it's not the people who are complaining. It says Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. The people have been complaining plenty mm-hmm. and they're going to continue to complain plenty. Yeah. But in this story, it's actually the leadership. Yeah. Which also goes to show, goes to uh, kind of reinform you that if you have a grumbling that is occurring in your fellowship, mm-hmm. it doesn't go away. No. You got to deal with that. Yeah. God answers. He takes care of it. And he actually uh, gives Miriam a skin disease, something that looks like leprosy. She gets a skin disease. Or if any of you have been there at the birth of your child, mm-hmm. uh, mother's probably definitely there. They were not birthed uh, via C-section. There's like this white film that is like on their body. It's mm-hmm. it's a really good like moisturizer. It's it's basically like one of the best nutrients you can get. Mm-hmm. It's really good for baby skin, but it, it makes them look kind of weird when they first come out. Yeah. You don't, you don't clean it off. You want it to stay on their body for a little bit because- they actually, Aaron comments, he says, it looks like a baby skin. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it makes sense. That's what it looks like. Yeah. So skin disease, it looks something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, it's interesting that Miriam actually doesn't complain. It's actually Aaron that says, hey, this is unintentional and disease is coming. But Miriam actually doesn't say anything. She doesn't complain. She doesn't bring up words, nothing. Mm-hmm. But Aaron brings it up and asks for mercy. And so then Moses prays to God. And then God ultimately relents, but says that she has to sit outside the fellowship for seven days. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's normally something like being unclean. And so he's more driving home the point that it wasn't okay. It's not okay to complain and to besmirch the people that God puts into leadership. Mm -hmm. And also a thing to note is Aaron and Miriam were not removed from leadership. Correct. Correct. Because of this. Nope. They stay in their positions. Like the issue was dealt with. Yeah. There was some contention. There was some strife amongst the leadership team for the Israelites. And the issue was dealt with by God. Are you insinuating that we could learn a lot about leadership and running a church from the Bible? Not at all. Seems crazy. I'm not insinuating. I'm saying that directly. <laughs> like I'm saying that very directly. So it is interesting to note, though, that it says that they don't go anywhere. They, all the people actually wait until Miriam is back Yeah. before they yeah. go anywhere. Because they're not going super far in the desert. They could have just left her and kept wandering. But mm-hmm. they're like, nope, we're going to wait until Miriam's better. So then uh, we did tell you guys to buckle up because it just starts to get progressively worse mm-hmm. through this section of scripture. 
So then they send the spies out to go and look at the land, one from each of the tribe. And they're, they're asking them to do things like they want to see what the land is like. What are the people like? What is the soil like? Are they strong? Are they weak? Do they have houses? Do they have walls? Like, what does this land actually look like? So for your business people, they're like, hey, go do your market research. Yeah, exactly. Like, go do your research. You're going to start selling a product in this area. Go see if that's actually a needed product and adjust your plan accordingly. Exactly. So they go, they take one person from each tribe and they send 12 out and they all go and they take a look. And they bring back grapes, they bring back pomegranates, they bring back figs. By the way, I want you to note the pomegranate, figs, and grapes because it's going to come up later in another story. Mm -hmm. They return after 40 days. So this isn't like a quick overnight look. Like they've been there for a while. They've been searching out the land, looking at the cities, checking out the people. Yeah. And I think it's interesting here that they actually come back and they say, yeah, the land is exactly like God promised us. Looks exactly like God promised us. Yeah. But the people are huge. Now, this is the first time you guys have gotten to see me on video. I am 6'6", and I am just as big as I look on that camera. Spencer is not a small man, but he looks small when he sits next Uh to me. Mm -hmm. He is a... He is on the larger side of human spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. But what the the people say, they said, yeah, the land is exactly what God told us it was going to be. Except, hold on, there's these massive people who live there. Also, the Amalekites are there. You remember those guys that kept coming after our weak people in the desert? They live there and they're big, they're huge, we don't like them. And so they're laying like this groundwork of this conversation. Now, I love Caleb's response. Uh Uh-huh. He's like, let's go. Let's go. go. All right. He's like, we got this. God's going with us. We can do this. Uh-huh. Caleb is is so fun because even the book of uh, Joshua, uh-huh. he's this old man uh-huh. chasing down giants. Uh-huh. Caleb is like, let's go, let's go. The others though, the other 10, and I'm going to say 10 because Joshua is not named in this portion, but mm-hmm. Joshua ultimately sides with Caleb that they should go into the land. Yeah. But the other 10 start thinking that it's foolhardy for them to go. And so they go and they spread a bad report. Now, I went in and looked at the Hebrew in this, and the word is dibba, dibba. It's a dibba report, meaning it's whispering. Mm-hmm. It's defamation. It's an evil report. Mm-hmm. It's this subtle conversation that's happening it's in the background. More like, it's more like a uh, gossip mill. It's almost like you yeah. were complaining about a Cushite wife mm-hmm. of one of your leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you're whispering and you're spreading this bad report and you're kind of getting this this grumbling that is going on. Yeah. So you have, at this point, you have the people coming back and they're running to their neighbors. Like, hey, did you hear? Did you hear? Yeah. The land over there, there's giants over there. They're going to kick our rear ends if we enter in there and we're going to die. And then- the next Not day, only that, did you know that there is Nephilim? Those guys from Genesis, right? Yeah. Those godlike warriors, the offspring of angels and- and kings, mm-hmm. those guys are there. Like, yeah. what chance do we possibly have against them? Yeah. We are just lowly slaves from Egypt. Run away. Right? right? Like, this, right? Is, this is the mentality. And Caleb's like, we're going. We got this. <laughs> Caleb doesn't care. He's, yeah. he's like, he's like, God will take care of any of mm-hmm. those people. Yeah. So out of that, it spreads in the entire community. And so then they all start going, oh, if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. But you brought us here to be slaughtered by the Nephilim. You brought us to be slaughtered by the Nephilim. Okay, calm down. How many times does God put his face in his hands? Just like face palm, like just, okay. Dozens. Gotta be dozens at least. When he's like, you've seen me do all these things. You've seen me rescue you from Egypt. You've seen me provide for you in the desert. 
you seemingly provide shade during the day via cloud and mm-hmm. warmth during the night via fire every day, every night. You have seen, like, you have seen the glory of my presence reflected off of Moses. You're literally eating food from heaven. Yeah. And meat every day. Yeah. And then you get to a land where there's some people who are a little bigger than you. And you're like, we need to spread a rumor because there's no way we can handle that. And not to mention, these exact same people had been there when Egypt was destroyed. Yeah. It's not like they've never seen a superpower destroyed. Yeah. This is not news to them. This is something that they've seen before. Yep. Now, taking a step back, I do want to identify with the story a little bit. Oh, yeah. Because I see the victories of God all the time in my life, and then I run into a new thing, and I'm like, oh, no. Uh-huh. Oh, no. Uh-huh. This is insurmountable for God. Yeah. Because you're in the middle of the desert, it's hard to remember that God is sovereign. Oh, yeah. So coming out of that, God is actually really ticked off. He's facepalmed again because there's a statement in there that say, we're going to elect a new leader mm-hmm. to take us back to Egypt. Now, I don't know if they remember how they left Egypt, but Egypt's not just going to welcome them back with open arms. No, not to mention Egypt is virtually destroyed. Yeah. Like the amount of destruction that went on in Egypt during the 10 plagues, it was going to take a long time for the Egyptians to rebuild. They're wanting to literally go back to slavery Mm -hmm. rather than go and take the land that that is actually needed. And I got to be honest with you, I get it. Yeah. It's really tempting to, when you recognize the road that you have to fight through, Mm -hmm. it is really tempting to want to go back to what's comfortable rather than to go into what's promised. Yep. Oh, completely. And we want to have a ton of compassion with that, but at the same time, if you do that, you're going to end up dying in the desert. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to live your entire life in slavery. Yeah. God is going to empower you, but you have to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to take the steps. You have to walk in the path that the Lord has laid before you. Well, and you say, you say, well, Ben, that's the Old Testament. I was like, Matthew 28. Mm -hmm. All authority... Jesus speaking, Mm -hmm. in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Mm -hmm. therefore go and make disciples, disciples, right? You still have to go and make disciples. All authority has come, go. And it's not only that, it's also Matthew 10 when Jesus is sending the 72 out Mm -hmm. to go from town to town to proclaim the gospel, proclaim the good news, the Messiah is here. His like... His send-off remarks of like, hey, we're commissioning you for ministry to go preach the good news. Not just like be empowered, but it was also like, hey, people are going to hate you. (laughs) They're going to throw you in prison. They're going to try to stone you. They're going to try to kill you. All this stuff. And then he gets to Matthew 10, 28, and he's like, hey, but don't fear the ones who can just condemn the body. Instead, fear the one who can condemn both body and soul. Mm -hmm. In other words, he's saying, hey, if you're following after me, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to die. And then even when you die, as Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is actually gain. So when you look at this, nothing is insurmountable for God. Right. We actually leaned into that. So much in our communities would change. Yeah. And one of the reasons we wanted to pause here and talk about this is because I think sometimes we tend to disassociate what Israel is going through with what we're going through. Yeah. And we'd be like, oh, you silly Israelites. Didn't you walk through the, through the desert and get fed? Didn't you walk through the sea on dry land? And I'm like, didn't you get changed from death to life through Jesus Christ? Okay, except for they have us way worse than we do. Yeah. Can we can we acknowledge that? Because we're like, we're like, oh, you silly Israelites. We understand you were brought out of slavery. You were like, oh, you're brought out of slavery. That was good. They're actually brought out of everything they know, brought into the desert where they didn't know anything, had to fully trust God. And they get to another spot where they have to fully trust God. And their options are go back in the desert and die or go move forward and die in their minds. Those are their options. 
And we are over here like, oh, heavenly father, I am persecuted because my hairdresser's out of town and I had to cancel that appointment. It's rough. It's real rough. One, and not to mention, like we just talked about the division of the spirit. Yeah. So the spirit rested on people. Yeah. In the New Testament, the spirit rests in people. Yes. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We carry that temple with us everywhere. Exactly. I was like, so in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of the struggles that they have, we shouldn't struggle with because now we have a changed nature and are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yep. So we don't want to throw them under a bus because they were operating without the spirit inside of them. Yeah. We want to have compassion with them because it's the same struggle that we go through today. Mm-hmm. So then God is like, you know what? I'm done with you guys. Like, we'll just, I'll just raise up people through Moses, Aaron, and the people who are being faithful. Uh-huh. And I'll just do it through them. But Moses, he intercedes. Yeah. Like Moses is very similar to what happens on Mount Sinai. Uh-huh. Moses intercedes and he's like, God, remember your covenant. Remember that you are slow to anger, abounding in love. And he reminds him of who he is. And I think yeah. there's also this invitation from God. He's asking Moses to remember who he is. Yeah. So God relents and forgives, but he says that no one except Joshua and Caleb are going to be able to go into the promised land. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is going to spend 40 years in the desert. And they're going to live out there and die out there. And then their kids are going to go take the land. Mm -hmm. So Moses goes and he tells the guys, or tells Israel this. Mm -hmm. And then they start, they're like, oh no, tell you what, we'll go take the land now. Now that God said we can't do it, we'll do it. Uh I I hear a little bit of my four-year-old, maybe your five-year-old in there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. 100%. There's a number of times where my five-year-old has to face the consequences of her action. And she's, oh, no, now I'll go clean my room. But you're still going to clean your room, but you're still going to have- The consequences aren't going away. Not going away. Yeah. And so, like, first Scott says, go and take the land. And they're like, ah, it's too much for you, God. And then he's like, okay, well, you're not going to- You're not going to go into the promised land. I'll grant you your request. Yeah. You're going to stay in the desert and your kids are going to go take it. And they're like, Okay, well, now that you said we can't have it, we're going to go take it. And Moses is like, guys, no, 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 no. God is not going to go with you. You will go alone and you will get your butts handed to you. Uh-huh. They're like, no, no, no. We're going to go. We're going to fulfill the promise of God. Well, listen to God. Like clearly the issue here is that they're not listening. And there's, a, there's also a very relatable lesson in this as well. A lot of people who are like, I am fulfilling the work of the Lord. Or I'm fulfilling the promises of God. You have that same attitude, right? Yeah. And then it's like, but are you actually walking in the direction he is walking? Because there's, because then what happens is you eventually burn out, you fall. And a, and a good one that we talk about frequently on this podcast, you're like, it, it's my obligation as a believer to point out the sin and like to deal with the sin in other people's lives. And I was like, yes, you are called to judge, but you're also called to love God and love other people first. And from that, your judgment comes. You're also called to examine yourself. Take the plank out of your eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of self-examination that takes place before other people's examination. Mm-hmm. Can we rabbit trail real quick on that? Yep, rabbit. All right, great. So the self-examination piece before you try to fix somebody else's problems. What that does is that allows you to be like, man, I have issues just like they do. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to approach them it doesn't mean you're not going to approach them in conversation, but it allows you to approach them in conversation with compassion and mercy and grace because you recognize you are in the same position as mm-hmm. they. Agreed. And so when you take that, we feel like, man, I need to address the color of Ben's shirt with him. It's really obnoxious. Yes. I need to say, Ben, don't ever wear that color of shirt. 
First, you probably... know, first of all, my mom would agree with you. She hates yellow. Oh, really? That's funny. Yeah. You're welcome, Ben's mom. First, I would need to kind of examine myself and be like, okay, who am I to address the color of Ben's shirt when I literally own four of these sweaters? Mm-hmm. Same color and everything. Because I don't want to have to think about what clothes I'm wearing. I also believe he only owns one pair of pants, but I think it's six pair of the exact same pair it of is. pants. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My wife laughs at me because she's like, you buy like the same color pants and everything. I was like, yeah, because I don't have to think about it. You know, the reality though, there's someone on this podcast that's like, I feel you, Spencer. Uh-huh. I feel you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, it leads to a place of self-examination before you have a conversation. Yeah. And I think that it helps you develop this fancy word called empathy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like our heart should always be like driven by empathy and uh-huh. understanding like where somebody is and our desire is to help them be better, yeah. not to correct them from being wrong. And I'm going to say that again. Mm-hmm. Our desire is to help them be better, not to correct them because they're wrong. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think most of our correction or our love that we distribute to our brothers in, in the modern church in America, mm-hmm. I should specify, is viewed through the lens of you need to be correct rather than I want you closer to God. Mm -hmm. We need to remember just as we were sinners Mm -hmm. and were redeemed by the work of Christ, so are the people around us who say yes to Jesus. The people who were sinners who said yes to Jesus, they're redeemed by the work of Christ. And just as we draw closer to Christ, more of the ickiness of our lives is revealed, same with the other people around us. Right. So once again in this story... They want to go back. They're like, okay, God, if you're not going with us, we're still going to go fulfill your promise. Yeah. And not surprising, they get their butts handed to them. Uh-huh. Like, it, it is not even a contest because Moses doesn't go with them and the Ark of the Covenant doesn't go with them. So neither thing, which also means that the Levites probably aren't on board with what's going on. That would yeah. be my guess. See, you know my kid. You know how she's kind of, st- she's a stubborn, strong well, Just like her father. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I say she gets it from her mom, but her mom disagrees. But my kid's very stubborn. She's very strong-willed. And she's very much like, no, I got this. I will figure this out. I can do it. I'm like, okay. And you just have to, and there's things you just have to let her figure out. And then she comes back to you. She's like, that was stupid. I couldn't do that. And I was like, do you want help learning how to do that? She's like, no, I got this. And then she'll run back outside and then she'll like try to figure it out. And then she'll come back in crying and be like, I can't do it. And I'll be like, do you want me to help you figure this out? I can help you. I can show you how to do it. No, I can do it. Do you, I like sense that in this story. And and that actually plays really well in because the biggest thing that she needs in order to figure out how to do life is relationship with you. Yeah. Like she needs to walk with you as yeah. you instruct her on actually how to do these things correctly. Mm-hmm. Now, right after this section where they get their butts handed to them, uh-huh. there's this, there's these, these rules, these laws that come out and people are like, oh, well, God's just instituting more laws to make sure that they don't, they don't break things and he's making them more strict. No, he's actually giving them laws that are going to help them become the kind of people mm-hmm. that don't need to be corrected. Yeah. It's meant to do something in them. So let's take a look at the laws that are, are, that actually come out. Now there's a couple of offerings that come out, mm-hmm. like these, these offerings that are meant to do what, what do offerings do? They restore relationship. We've talked about this in the offering series. Yeah. If you understand Leviticus and you understand that the purpose of sacrifice and offerings is to restore relationship between God and humanity, mm-hmm. you understand that if God says now, hey, these are going to be some new offerings, that's not because he needs more stuff. Yeah. It's because you're far away and you need to be closer. Yeah. You are away from where we are actually interacting. It's about reconnecting humanity, about restored relationships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he gives them offerings for unintentional sins Mm -hmm. when you're grumbling and whispering and conniving and then you're like you know what we probably shouldn't be doing this yeah let's just restore that come back to me 
And then they have this uh, section where they talk about the Sabbath breakers. If you break the Sabbath. Now, what's the importance of Sabbath? To remember who God is. Right. And connect you to your identity. Mm-hmm. He made in the image of God. Yep. It's a day that is set aside. It's holy. It's mm-hmm. built around like a date night once a week for God. Yeah. And he comes out and, and I don't want to downplay this whole idea of that they will kill like the person who breaks the Sabbath. Because I, yeah. once again, we want to get into uh, tribal language, historical context. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But kill doesn't always necessarily mean kill. Now, in this story, they actually do go out and stone a guy. Yeah. Um, I don't know that's necessarily the ongoing motif, but it's serious. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to, once a week, remember that you are made for a purpose. Call back into your identity because that's going to cause you to be the kind of person who doesn't walk around and complain. Yeah. Now, we're doing a Sermon on the Mount series at the church, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jesus frequently will make statements. You have heard it said, but I say unto you, mm-hmm. which is rabbinic speak. We've talked about it on the podcast that says, you've always heard this, but it was always this. Yes. Do not murder was always supposed to turn you into the kind of person who loves your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And we're like, how do you get that? I was like, think about the contact it's being spoken into. So right here, don't break the Sabbath or else you're going to get put out of the community. Yeah. Because we're about remembering relationship with God. If you do not understand the fundamental nature of you and God coming together and stopping and finding your identity in him and not your production, then you're never going to be able to fulfill the mission of the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So that that's the purpose of these laws that's going to be given. Now, we're going to get another section of story, and then it's going to happen again. So let's take a look at what happens next. So now the Levites come up, and they say, you have gone too far, they say to Aaron and Moses. Okay. Now, first of all, who instituted the changes? God. So was it Moses and Aaron that went too far? No. Who are they judging? God. Not a good thing to do. The whole community is holy. True. Every one of them. True. And the Lord is with them. True. All of that true. Mm-hmm. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? False. They didn't set themselves above God's assembly. God did. God did. Mm-hmm. Which actually Moses then defers to God. He says, God will show up the next day and he's going to tell you who's in charge. Yeah. God's actually going to be the one to do this. But he continues and he says, makes a statement. He says, isn't it enough Levites that God has separated you from the rest of the community? You're already set apart more. Yeah. You, he's brought you to work on the temple and the altar. Don't you realize that it's actually against God that you're complaining? You yourselves are set apart. Yeah. You yourselves are the priests who are supposed to teach the entire kingdom how to be priests. Yeah. And yet you're complaining about hierarchy. You've been placed in a hierarchy. Uh Uh-huh. For instruction, not for importance. Yeah. You're not complaining about us. You're actually complaining about God. Mm -hmm. There's this huge conflict between Moses and these guys because he actually, like he he asks some of them to come and they refuse to come. And that's when he actually makes a statement about, don't you know that you're being set apart? They they make the statement. They say, we will not come. Isn't it enough that you've brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sorry. What? Do you, did you not just read what happened earlier in the chapter? Moses brings you there and there's 10 people who spread a bad report. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't stop them from going in. No. The people started complaining and we're like, oh, let's elect a new leader to take us the opposite way. Now you want to want to lord it over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance, a field or vineyards. Do you want to treat these men like slaves? Said the people who wanted to go back to Egypt. Uh huh. No, we will not come. 
So then Moses gets angry and says, don't accept their offering because there's this offering to reestablish relationship. Yeah. I have not taken so much as the donkey from them or have been wronged by them. So then Moses says to Korah, you and all your followers are to appear here before the Lord tomorrow, you and they and Aaron, each man to take a censer and put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. Mm. That's terrifying. Yes. Okay. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from all this assembly so I can put an end to them all at once. Okay. They got an answer to their question. (laughs) Now, one of the things I want to compliment Aaron and Moses on, it says that they fall face down and cry out, O God, the God who gives the breath to all living things, will you be angry with the entire assembly for only one man's sin? Mm Mm-hmm. So then he has them move away from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They're actually taken away by God. You can read the rest of the story, but you, you, hopefully you're seeing this, this continued like, oh, you, you didn't let us go into the land. You told us you weren't going to go into the land. Mm-hmm. I often find when I'm working with people that are struggling to follow God, God gives them an instruction and they don't do it. And then later, like when it no longer applies to them, they want to do it. Uh-huh. And then they're like, God said that if I did this then, and I was like, well, he gave me that instruction like two years ago. Yeah. And then they're like, God is just not fulfilling his promise. He said, if I did this, then blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. It's very clear that you're not in a regular relationship conversation with God. Yeah. yeah. And that is being reflected very clearly in the way that you interpret your life through him. Yeah. It's clear to me that what we need to do is reestablish your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so often the relationship with God down to what can I do? Exactly. And it's no, it's not what can you do? That's part of it. But a big part of it is also just go sit still yeah, and be in fellowship with him. We talked about the seven realities. Mm-hmm. See what God is doing and follow. Yeah. Yeah. So right after this story, where the story of the censors, where a bunch of people like the earth splits open and they get consumed. Mm-hmm. So you think people would be thinking, maybe just calm down a little bit. Yeah. The next day, the whole Israel community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did they not see the glory of God that appeared and like they were all going to get wiped out? Uh-huh. And Moses and Aaron actually pleaded on their behalf. Pleaded on their behalf that they wouldn't and so then they they go around. Okay. When the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Okay. This is the point where you calm down and beg forgiveness. Uh-huh. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting. God says to Moses, "Get away from this assembly so I can end them at once." And they fell face down. Once again, Aaron and Moses plead on behalf of the people who are rebelling, which, by the way, is just a great picture for leadership. Mm -hmm. So take this picture, for example, on this. You have a whole community who is frustrated at you. You're in leadership, church, ministry, whatever. Just go with me on it. Mm -hmm. Your whole community and everybody's frustrated at you. And instead of spreading a bad report or getting mad at them, you go to God and you just plead on their behalf. It's almost like that kind of thing changes the world. Yeah. Definitely 100% the harder path to go. 100%. Like, it is way more difficult to go plead on the behalf of people who are bad-mouthing you than it is to just go bad-mouth them back. And up to this point, like, Moses and Aaron could have just been like, okay, God, do your thing. Yeah. Except they still recognize the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And they recognize the responsibility of the people. Mm-hmm. And so they plead on their behalf. It is very difficult when people are complaining and whining and and about things that you didn't do. Yeah. Like things that aren't your fault mm-hmm. to actually go and put God on display in that midst. 
that's difficult. Yeah, it is. I, I, out of this story, uh, once again, God relents, mm-hmm. right? But out of this story, God actually is, is he says, okay, you know what? We're just going to establish this once and for all. So he says to Moses, he says, speak to the Israelites and get 12 staffs, mm-hmm. one from each of the leaders of their ancestral tribes and write the name of each man on the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name and place them in the tent meeting in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law, where I'll meet you. The staff belongs to the man I choose will sprout and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. So they go and they do that. And the next day, Moses entered the tent and saw the Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had sprouted, blossomed, and produced almonds. And I want to stress almonds because it's going to be important to a story coming up. Yeah. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them and each of the leaders took his own staff. The Lord said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff in front of the Ark of the Covenant law to be kept as a sign of the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. Mm-hmm. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Then the Israelites said, we will die. We're lost. We're all lost. Anyone who comes near the tabernacle of the Lord will die. Are we all going to die? Okay. Now God's just said, I'm putting the staff back so you're not going to die because of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But we talked about how Jesus uh, represents the word of God uh-huh. and that it comes from between the mercy seats and there's the bread of the covenant, the the actual 10 words, and now the staff is in there. Yeah. All things that Jesus represents in his kingdom ministry. Mm-hmm. This is it. This is the authority. This is who God has placed in authority, uh-huh. which then I think translates to Jesus very clearly. Mm-hmm. All authority in heaven and on earth yeah. has been given to me, therefore go. Mm-hmm. He is the budded staff. Mm-hmm. He is the bread from heaven. He is Torah made flesh. Yeah. And God is trying to tell his people, he's like, listen, these are the people that I have set up into authority. Now, this wouldn't be much of an issue, except back in Exodus, they're like, we don't want to hear from God directly. You hear him and then tell us what he has to say. Uh-huh. It's almost like if people would actually listen to God, rather than getting scared of everything he has to say, there might be a lot less mis- miscommunication. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Do you think in, in church life, we have a tendency to just think the worst without talking to God? Absolutely. We have a tendency to think the worst without talking to God. I think we actually take it a step further. We think the worst, jump to, jump to the conclusion that that's what's going to happen and then start acting on it before the situation's actually fully taken place. Yeah. It's actually devastating to a lot of churches because mm-hmm. you'll have leadership who will be like, okay, this happens. This is probably going to be the case. And then we're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. And then they'll start dealing with a made up situation in their head. I want to be clear. We, as leaders in churches and ministries, we should be looking ahead and keeping our eyes open for potential issues, mm-hmm. potential problems. But we should also, uh, and taking the time to be like, all right, Lord, what are you doing in this moment? Where am I in this story? Where do you want me in this story? Because the reality is I've been in leadership roles at a few different churches now. You have as well. Mm-hmm. And I could ask you this question. Have any of them gone exactly how you thought? Exactly how I thought. <laughs> yeah. Like, it works out exactly like I thought it would be. Yeah. A little bit of a rhetorical question there. Like every role I've been in, I, I step in and I have vision and I'm like, this is what's going to happen. And then six months in, I was like, the Lord had a different plan. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. So it's when we as leaders walk in step with the Lord, that's when the community changes. Right. But when we try to force the change, that's when we glorify ourselves. I think if there's a, something we can learn in this section, it's that and when you tend to focus, focus on your opinion rather than the voice of God, mm-hmm. that you end up with some really messed up ideas about what happened. Yeah. 
Also, revisionist history is a real big thing. Oh, yeah. I think that we also need to be honest about like our history and what happened and our responsibilities. It's it's interesting. So we had talked earlier, we said that this idea of offerings come up afterwards and like the Sabbath restoring relationship after this section with the priesthood, it actually says that now these are the duties of the priests and the Levites. God reminds them once again, this is who you're supposed to be. Yeah. And then there's offerings for the priests and Levites and it carries all the way into this, this story about the water of cleansing. And there's a, there's like a new thing about what the Israelites are supposed to do, which is actually going to carry into our story next week. Yeah. But God says, this is the issue. And now let's make sure that we don't run into it again. Mm -hmm. We used to have these things when I was a resident assistant in college called Kevin rules. Uh huh. Sorry if somebody's listening, their name is Kevin. Uh And they were rules that we had to make because somebody named Kevin did something dumb. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, the rules were actually designed to make sure that something dumb didn't happen again. Yeah. But in God's case, they're not just rules that are meant to get people to stop being dumb. They're actually rules that are, or laws that are instituted for the purpose of restoring relationship or creating something different in you so that you become a different kind of person. Yeah. That's the big difference between American laws and the laws of God. Yeah. Right? I think the invitation in this in this text is to be the kind of leaders like Aaron and Moses, at least in this story. Next week, it's going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Be the kind of people in these stories that plead on behalf of people that don't deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Because let's be honest, we don't deserve it either. We don't. And with that said, I know there's people in my life who have pleaded on behalf of myself. Yeah. And I know there's people in my life who I've pleaded on behalf of them. Yeah. We're going to wrap the story here. Yeah, uh, because we don't. If we go any further, we're actually going to get into next week's topic, where we're going to be talking about water from a rock. Ooh, Good story. It's going to be fun. Yeah, so you can read ahead on that. So uh, a couple of things that are going cool is one. Apparently, now we're going to have video on YouTube. Yeah, provided that this turns out decent. Otherwise, I'm going to edit all of this out, and nobody's going to know the difference. Yep. If it turns out well, though, you'll be able to start watching us on YouTube. The video will get better. This is our first week, so uh, it's going to take us a little bit, like it did with audio. Yeah. It will get better. Things will always improve. We are always striving to be better. So with that said, if you actually have like, hey, here are some good video tips that you have, let us know. We'd love that. Just make sure it's simple because we're really not smart. We're smart, just not about technology. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. We're not smart about technology. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Some of the things we're going to start sending out and we've started posting some videos. We've been making book recommendations. Yeah different books that we recommend we've we put them in the show notes before but we're actually talking about why this book yeah additionally i'm going to talk to spencer about this but we're going to get a link set up on our website and on our link tree to some different swag items that you can get for oh, love yeah. and context uh, the current one that is we we designed a shirt and it says the debtors is really hot and you're going to be able to order that i think in white and black i think that's oh, going to yeah. be pretty oh, much yeah. We got that as a gift for uh, Pastor Nick's wife, who commented that we say that a lot. At the point that she will actually listen to this episode, we've actually gotten her a shirt already that says that, and I can't wait to tell you about her reaction. It's great. Uh, if you want to order something like that, would be great. Uh, I think we're going to design a couple of hats and some different things. Uh, we all we do this in our spare time, so obviously we're not going to be able to devote a ton of time to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you want to support, that's the way that you can do that. Always, if you also want to support, just subscribe, follow, all that. Uh, we will be having a Q&A coming up again soon. Yes. So keep sending questions. Yep. We did one after 25. We'll probably do one around 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we will have a Q&A coming up. So at any point you have questions, send those over. What I would recommend is just if you have a question, just shoot us an email or a message or something real quick. 
as you have that question, just so you don't forget it, just get it sent over to us and we will store that and save it for the Q&A. And last piece is once we are done with Torah, we're exploring what series to do next. Mm-hmm. If you have any thoughts or things you'd like to hear us discuss, go ahead and send them our way. We have a, yeah. have a number of ideas already like percolating, mm-hmm. but we could always use some more. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Till next time. Bye. That's a wrap for today's episode. We want to extend a heartfelt thank you for tuning in and spending your valuable time with us. We hope that you found today's conversation insightful and that you take something meaningful from it. If you have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at loveandcontext@gmail.com, at gmail.com and we will be sure to get back to you. Remember, you can always engage with our content on all your favorite listening platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Love and Context on Instagram and Facebook for updates. My daughter was very adamant and told me that uh, I am not as pretty as mom Mm. the other day. And I was like, you're not wrong. She's not wrong. You're wrong. You're right. She's definitely right.